0: No cybersecurity measure is 100% reliable. That's why agencies need a dose of resilience, the ability to get back to normal if a cyber attack were to succeed. For how to get more resilient, a group of smart thinkers got together in Washington. One of them was former Federal Chief Information Officer Tony Scott, who joins me now. Tony, it's good to know you're still pretty much in the swim these days.
1: Great to talk to you this morning.
0: And tell us what happened that you came up with a good list of ways that agencies can become more resilient. What was the methodology for getting at this list?
1: Well, we had a series of discussions, ultimately, that resulted in a roundtable, one in Washington, D.C., and the other in Rome, attended by a number of people who have a stake in the game or an interest in the outcome in terms of government and institutional resilience. And of course, it was Chatham House Rules. But if you look at the report published by the IBM Institute for Business Value, you'll see the participants and you'll see the set of recommendations. My role in this was to attend both of the sessions, one in person and one virtually. Obviously, the Rome one virtually, and then to summarize the conclusions and to summarize the discussion among the participants. found it to be a very robust and interesting conversation.
0: Well, notwithstanding that you got the in-person and by Zoom mixed up, because I would have definitely gone to Rome and done Washington by remote, but nevertheless, maybe quickly define what you meant by resilience in the ensuing report.
1: Well, I think broadly speaking, it means building mechanisms and resources so that in the face of cyber issues, no matter what they are, you can recover and resume operations to the fullest extent possible and do that in a reasonable time. The problem with a lot of our infrastructure and even institutions is they've been built over decades, and when harmed depending on the degree of harm you don't have decades to rebuild you need to recover pretty quickly and it's especially true of you know the digital infrastructure that i think everyone's most concerned about but there are other aspects of it as well because all of the digital manifests itself in some form of physical presence as well
0: is it possible to know in advance or to measure are there any metrics for resilience until you actually have to invoke it.
1: I think there's exercises that you can do um, and practices that you can engage in. And this was obviously talked about a lot in the report, and it's also been very valuable from my experience. The analogy you may have heard me use is, you know you don't get to Carnegie Hall after your first violin lesson. and practice in this particular case, makes you better and so one of the recommendations that we spent some time talking about was making sure that all the relevant institutions and organizations and stakeholders have multiple practice opportunities to recover from many different kinds of events that might possibly occur. We're speaking
0: with Tony Scott. He is currently the CEO of Intrusion and was federal CIO during the Obama administration. And you've listed in your after-action report here from these roundtables several steps that agencies can take to start to build in what is needed for resiliency, given how potent attacks have become. A review for us some of the other things they should be doing now.
1: Well, one of the foremost things is the talent problem. And this was number one on our list. I think all institutions globally have realized that the amount of resources and the skills of the resources that are available today are insufficient really to do the things that we aspire to do in terms of being resilient. So first and foremost, it's increasing the cyber talent pool of resources that it's available. And some of the recommendations included educating people earlier in cyber and making it a part of K-12 through curriculum, for example, expanding apprenticeship programs, in some cases, waiving the requirement for a four-year degree for some of the roles that people can perform, and a number of other recommendations like that to try to scale the cyber talent resource base above and beyond what's occurring today.
0: And one of the other recommendations was to improve organizational collaboration for faster response. And if you take that and the personnel question together, I guess my question is, is the government going too far in centralizing all of the knowledge and authority in CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, or should it remain diffuse, the ability to respond? In other words, could you build up CISA too much and atrophy some of the resilience that might be needed locally, agency
1: by agency? Well, I think actually, uh, and this was part of the discussion we had, you need both. You do need some center, everyone basically agrees, to coordinate strategy and to do some of the things that, frankly, only government is in a position to do but you also need to have a lot of resource and activity at a very local level and make sure that it's adequate for the risks that are exposed at a local level. And so, you know, I think the recommendation very strongly is you really need both. I would never say at this point that we're over-concentrating or we have too much resource in the cyber battle because the reality is, every day we're still seeing attacks and successful compromises and, and those kinds of things. And I wouldn't claim that we're winning the battle at all at the moment.
0: Right. It seems like most of the damage that has occurred has been at the non-federal governmental level, school districts, health care systems that might be publicly operated, and just government agencies at the municipal and state level.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And what we've seen is that the Cyber attackers have decided to go where the money is easiest to get, which is at some of these more mid-sized and lower-sized organizations that may not have the resources or the skills to properly defend against some of these attacks and uh, who, in fact, may be more willing to pay a ransom to get out of an unfavorable situation. And so the, the level of attacks for those kinds of institutions has gone up. But I think that trend also still emphasizes the need for coordination across a broader scale because many of these institutions can't afford to mount the kind of defenses that would be needed in collaboration, you know, with government and other resources can both educate them and also help them defend when these attacks occur.
0: And the other axis is aligning public and private sector cybersecurity priorities. And, you know, for many years, the federal government has had this kind of reporting relationship with different elements in the private sector, different parts of DHS and other agencies have their private, I guess, counterparts in industry. What more needs to be done on that front?
1: Well I think this is an interesting tie-in in some respects the questions an interesting tie-in to the new federal cybersecurity strategy that came out after these discussions had taken place but you know it has to do with shifting some of the responsibility and some of the resources that are needed to fight cybercrime and cyber criminals to to those organizations that are best prepared to have an impact so making software companies more responsible, making, uh, you know, telecom carriers more responsible and and the like, and then prioritizing all of that work, both from a law enforcement perspective as well as, you know, legally and and governance-wise, I think are all big steps towards aligning our priorities and getting everyone on the same page in terms of what our policies are, how we're going to respond, who to call, you know, all of those kinds of things have been a bit confusing. And if the public and the private sector are a lot more highly aligned around what action we're going to take, who's responsible, what the pecking order is, all of that's good news if we can pull it off.
0: Yeah, cyber's never a set and forget, is
1: it? Hasn't been, at least in my experience, that's <laughs> for sure.
0: Tony Scott is CEO of Intrusion and was a federal CIO during the Obama administration. As always, thanks so much.
1: Great to talk to you, Tom.
0: And we'll post this interview along with a link to his white paper, again published by the IBM Center for Business Value, at federalnewsnetwork.com slash federaldrive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA.
3: What I saw, it was just so many people, my own brothers and sisters who were 10 times smarter than I was. But my first five brothers were literate. They never got an opportunity to show the nation how brilliant they were. Therefore, I really took on this whole notion that my life had to be about based on how many students they don't admit. I'm about just the opposite. Taking individuals who are absolutely stellar and don't realize it, and bringing that into
2: existence for them. You've had so many opportunities that you could do other things, perhaps, at um, larger organizations.
3: did as well. So here I am having grown up in Alabama, I harbored some anger toward the society there that kept me from realizing my potential and then kept so many others like me from ever realizing their potential. At the end of a conversation that we had, someone asked Mr Sosulu, we're leaving this conversation thinking that you harbor no anger towards a society that locked you away for twenty seven years. Are we leaving with the correct conclusion?